morning, everyone. Let's begin with a short prayer. Dear Father, thank you for the blessing of a beautiful morning. Pray that you please be with each of us in our service this morning. Help us to honor and glorify you. And may the words we speak here be spoken and bring glory and honor to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may open your Bibles to Isaiah 59. I've been uh, really enjoying a song that I uh, heard a long time ago, but I've uh, recently listened to it a couple, uh, few times, and it's really impressed me. So I thought for an opening this morning, I'd just share the song lyrics and look at a couple Bible passages that go along with that. So I'm going to read Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. And when it says his ear is heavy, it means uh, it's closed or he can't hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. And in that verse, the cockatrice, I looked that up, it just means a, a snake. <coughs> their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The paths of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness." We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sin testifieth against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, and truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he hath put on righteousness, righteousness as a breastplate, and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according he will repay, fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will pay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like flood, 
the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto, the, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words shall I put in thy, thy mouth, and shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. I really like this chapter of Isaiah. And as I was studying for this opening this morning, I, I started looking up references that talk about justice and God's desire for truth and right to be done. And all throughout the book of Isaiah, there's references to justice. Um, I, didn't, I hadn't realized that before until I started studying this. So looking at verse 2, Near the beginning, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So it's very clear that the iniquities are what separate us from God. This is a very basic concept. Um, when you sin, you're transgressing against God, and that brings a separation. And this, a lot of this chapter, the first half, is basically a, a discussion and a bewailing of the fact that the, the children of Israel, in this case, are separated from God. And they're looking in verse, verses 9 and 10 and 11, they're, they're looking for, for light, for justice, and, they, and they're, they're desiring their salvation, but they cannot find it. I really like verse 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth far off, and truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. It's a depiction of a society that is so corrupt that there's virtually nothing right left anymore. It, it's the personification of all of these things. Judgment. It's like judgment is turning away backwards, and justice is standing somewhere far off. And truth is fallen in the street. Another translation I read is said like in the town square. Truth is dead. It's laying in the street. And equity cannot enter. And equity wants to come to the city or, or uh, righteous judgment wants to come to the city, but it, it can't come. And the embodiment of these virtues is necessary at every level of society to prevent chaos and destruction. Every person from the top of the government system to the beggar on the street needs this justice and the embodiment, embodiment of these uh, attributes to please God and prevent the destruction. I'm going to read to you the, that verse in another translation. It says, So redress is turned back, and vindication stays afar, because honesty stumbles in the public square, and uprightness cannot enter. Another uh, verse that talks about this is in Proverbs 21.3. I'll just read it to you. It says, To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Amen. And that's written in the Old Testament. I thought about that. Why would that be that God was more interested in them doing the right thing to their fellow man than in sacrifices? Because in the Old Testament, sacrifices were the way you, be, you became right with God. It was a, it was a, a proof that you loved God in some, in some sense. But God was still saying, even in the Old Testament, I'm more interested in you doing the right thing and making the right judgments, treating your fellow man properly, than I am in all your sacrifices. Amen. 
I'm going to read a couple verses out of Isaiah 53. You can turn back there. I'm going to read verses 4 to 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then I'm going to jump to verses 10 to 12. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So even in the Old Testament, this is a verse out of Isaiah, it's pointing forward to the redemption from this awful state of no, of no justice and no truth. So I handed out some papers, and uh, I have a picture on the one side of the papers. And I, I really find the uh, statue here in this picture very fascinating. So all throughout history, governments have been in charge of, of meeting out justice. And what requires a need for justice is when there is injustice or wrong or sin or some, something that is done wrong that needs corrected. And then we need to have to bring justice. So that's it's a every civilization, at least advanced civilization, has had this idea. Um, the ancient Egyptians had uh, pictures of in the afterlife a pharaoh's heart in a balance against a feather, and the feather represented truth. So it's very it's a very ancient concept, and the the Romans had it, the Greeks had it, um, our our modern. Uh, courts often have a statue similar to the one in the picture here somewhere on them. Um, this one happens to be somewhere in Europe. So the first question I, I had when I started looking at this is why is justice represented as a woman? What would, like, why a woman? That, why, that doesn't really, didn't make sense to me immediately. I thought about that for a, a long time and I looked it up online to see what see what other people had to say about it. And interestingly enough, some answers I found um, mentioned that it's because maybe uh, women are in are the ones who we typically think of as caring and paying attention, paying attention to the details and very interested in justice. Now men are too, but men are not maybe not to the degree women are naturally empathetic. So in this in this uh, statue picture of the statue, it shows justice being blindfolded. Now that's a relatively new thing. Uh, most statues up until the I think 1500s would not have showed a blindfold, but the blindfold came in around the 1500s, 1550 or so. And I think the reason for that is to show that all the, all the uh, 
injustice beforehand is is not being is not going to influence the decision at hand today. So it's like looking not looking back, we're looking at the the issue today, here and now. We're not taking into account everything that happened previously and we're not being influenced and biased by different things. And obviously the statute is holding a scales, which is, you know, you're balancing what is the right thing to do, maybe the injustice and the punishment. And does anyone have any idea why the sword that she's holding is unsheathed? Right. It has to do with the idea of swift, swift judgment. So justice, for justice to really be justice, it has to be done quickly. Um, If, just thinking of a scenario, but let's say, you know, somebody steals some of my money and I don't get it back for, you know, 20 or 30 years. Well, that doesn't really feel like justice because there's been inflation and it's not worth as much and it's not, it's not really justice. So justice has to be delivered swiftly. But isn't that the beauty of Christianity, that God has mercy? And he doesn't deliver justice swiftly every time. There's a verse in Isaiah 55, verse 7. I'm just going to read it to you. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon so God isn't like uh, a human judge that needs to deliver justice quickly and needs a blindfold to not be uh, impartial. But God has mercy. So I'm going to read the poem that uh, inspired my opening this morning. The author is Kenneth Trout and the title is Intercede, O Lord. O thou, who at the judgment bars dost stand with guilty souls, to plead instead thy Calvary scars, plead my poor name beyond the stars where God's deep mercy rolls. Lord, wilt thou plead for me? Lord, intercede for me. Thy scars my plea shall be, thy blood my surety. O intercede. O God, who learned to wield our tools and chose the human task, we looked for wrath who broke thy rules, but thou didst sup with us, the fools. T'was more than we dared ask. O thou, who having shaped the skies, didst fashion yoke and plow, who left thy throne to agonize, be counsel sure when justice tries, be my companion now. Lord, wilt thou plead for me, Lord, intercede for me. Thy scars my plea shall be. Thy blood my surety. Oh, intercede. So, this poem is, uses some language that's maybe a little difficult to understand today. So, I looked up some of these words to try to give you a picture of what this poem is uh, portraying. So, this poem is obviously a... a uh, a word picture of us standing before God and pleading Jesus instead. So, 
I want to first look at the uh, the first line. It says, O thou hath the judgment bars to stand with guilty souls. So, in English common law, and this isn't necessarily American, but this is England, and I believe the author was English. In the 15 to 1600s, the bars, it, it meant a, there was a wooden railing that marked off a judge's seat in, in a courtroom. So it separated the area where the prisoners and barristers stood from where the judge sat. So if the judge sat here, there'd be a wooden railing here, and then the, the prisoner or the person being judged and the barrister would be standing over here. And what is a barrister? So I looked that up. It's a type of lawyer that has rights other lawyers may not have. He has the right to represent his client in an audience of a superior court where other lawyers may represent their clients only in a lower court and not a superior one. So barrister is, let's say, another, a next level uh, attorney or, or his next level lawyer that has the right to represent his client in court, in a high court, before the judge. So I get the picture of, of me standing before God in eternity somewhere. It says, plead my poor name beyond the stars. So somewhere not here on earth, obviously, because God doesn't, God dwells here, but he also dwells in heaven. Right. And, and we are someday all going to stand before him. So, so I get the picture of me standing before God somewhere in eternity with all of humanity from all time gathered and watching. But I don't need to be frightened because beside me is my brother, my redeemer, Jesus. And we can, we can have Jesus acting as, let's say, a barrister, pleading our case before God. And we're the prisoner. We're, we, are, we have done the injustice to God, and God is the judge, but we have Jesus pleading our case for us. Amen. Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 13. I saw a great white throne, and... Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. So I'm going to move to the chorus of the song now. Lord, wilt thou plead for me? Lord, intercede for me. Thy scars my plea shall be. Thy blood my surety. O intercede. So I, I did a little studying on that too. Uh, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, intercede means to plead on another's behalf or to act as a mediator in a dispute. So our sins are, are what separates us from God, as we saw in Isaiah 59. And... If we're asking Jesus to intercede for us, that means to act to act like a mediator between us and God. That's right. such a profound thought. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. He's a mediator between us and God. And, and the plea word uh, also means the defendant's answer to a formal criminal charge. That's one of the definitions of plea. So our sins are a criminal charge before God, and God's justice demands restitution. What can we possibly do to make restitution? I'm going to read a little bit from Hebrews 9.
Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment... So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So I'm going to move on to verse 2 of the song. O God, who learned to wield our tools and chose the human task, we looked for wrath who broke thy rules, but thou didst sup with us, though fools. Twas more than we dared ask. The first line of the poem references tools, and tools are more or less a a human, exclusively human thing. There are some animals who use tools, but it's pretty much an exclusively human thing. As opposed to God, who doesn't need any tools. God speaks things into existence. Truth in speech is the creative life-giving force in the world, yet he sacrificed that to live among us. So he chose to use our tools instead of just speech. Uh, John 1, 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So right at, right at the beginning of that verse it says, the word was made flesh. So the word or the speech lived among us with grace and truth. So the idea is that the words, words of truth are what create, or that's how God creates the world. Um, I think maybe that's why I've always been a little confused about the story of Moses. He hits the rock and God condemns him for that. He wasn't using the words of truth that he was supposed to use to bring the water out of the rock. It's a fundamentally different, he was using a tool, which is a rod, to hit the rock, which is a human thing, instead of using the words of truth, which is a God thing. Amen. Anyway, so just as a little side note there. We looked for wrath who broke thy rules. So we are all unjust before God and we deserve wrath. And God came and he didn't come in judgment. He came and he lived among us as a human. He ate and drank with us and supped with us, the fools. T'was more than we dared ask. Verse 3, O thou who having shaped the skies didst fashion yoke and plow, who left thy throne to agonize, be counsel sure when justice tries. Be my companion now. So after God created a perfect, unbroken, beautiful world by speaking truth, Christ humbled himself to work with man's lowly primitive tools in order to create other basic tools. So Jesus was a carpenter. Maybe he made yokes and plows, which is a human tool, by using other human tools. But he could have just, you know, saved himself all of that and just spoke everything to existence, but he didn't. He came and he lived as a human. Um... I looked at that uh, second to last line, be counsel sure when justice tries. What does counsel mean? It means advice or guidance, especially as solicited from a knowledgeable person. 
So um, at work, there's a person with the title of corporate corporate counsel, I think it's called. It means like you're a lawyer and, and you are giving guidance or direction to the company in, in legal matters. So Jesus is our, our counsel or our, our guidance in our relationship with God. Such an amazing thought. Right. And he is our companion and our friend Amen. in this relationship with God. John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, but the servant, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. I want to just close by reading Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen.